Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. So, kids, the Christmas Christmas is just around the corner. Are you excited? Yeah. Moms, how are you doing? Hanging in there? <clears throat> You're doing great. Keep on going. <clears throat> well, we're going to talk about the shepherds today, uh, but we're going to do some backstory. We're going to start at the beginning of the Bible. So, kids, who is the scariest bad guy you can think of? Who's the scariest bad guy you can think of? Yeah? In a, sorry? A wolf, okay, that's pretty scary. From a book or, yeah? Satan, okay, very good. We'll get to that in a minute. What else? Darth Vader, yeah, he's pretty scary, yeah? A lion, lions can be scary too. One more, yeah? What? Goliath, yeah, he was pretty scary too. So who is the bad guy in the Bible? It was already stated, right? The devil, Satan. What, is, what does he look like? What does the devil look like? Does he have horns and red tights? No, no. That image of the devil and of demons that we get today often is kind of a mixture of a little bit of what we see in the Bible, but a lot of bit of what we see in Disney and in cartoons, right? This idea of the red devil with pitchfork or whatever. Um, but what does the devil actually look like in the Bible? How is he described? Okay, angel, uh, yeah, yeah. What else? A serpent, a snake, that's right. In, in Genesis, it's, it talks about a snake and then in Revelation, at the end of the Bible, it says the serpent or a dragon, right? Kind of uses those terms, terms interchangeably. The book of Genesis starts by telling us about the creation of the world. It's the beginning of the story that we are in right now. And in the beginning of the story, God plants a garden, the Garden of Eden, and the Bible tells us that there was a snake in the garden. Do you remember the story about the snake in the garden? Okay, so if the snake in the garden, if the bad guy in the Bible had a superpower, what would it be? What was his major power? My kids, sorry, you're not going to get the answer. Yeah? Say it louder. He could be anything he wanted. Well, no, it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. What, what was his superpower in the, in the garden? Yeah? What? Temptation? Yeah, he did tempt Adam and Eve. Yeah? Persuasion? I think you're getting closer. Yeah? Deception. Okay, that's right. The Bible says that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And what does it mean to be crafty? What does it mean to be crafty? Yeah? Tricky, that's right. Sneaky, tricky, deceitful. 
Sometimes our cartoon ideas of devils makes us think of creatures that are big and huge and powerful and scary, kind of like maybe the, the dragon smog in The Lord of the Rings. Or the other idea I had is, you remember the, the cartoon movie Aladdin, when Jafar at the end gets to be this really big, scary monster kind of thing? Well, the Bible says that the thing to watch out for with the snake in the garden is his craftiness and his lies. And we see this immediately in the first few pages of the Bible. It says that the snake in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, used his trickery and lies to do what? What was the trick that he played on Adam, well, specifically Eve at the beginning? He convinced Eve, yeah? You want to, okay, he convinced Eve that to doubt God's goodness. She was led to want and to take something that God had not given to Adam and Eve. And at the bottom of it all, Adam and Eve decided that they would not believe God, that they would reject God's authority over them, and that they would not, and that they would try to be their own rulers. They said to God, since you don't actually love us and you won't provide for us, we're going our own way. We'll figure it out on our own. Now, was that true? No, it was not true. But that was their response to God. It was an evil thing for Adam and Eve to do. And it sets up the story of the rest of the Bible. And it says that because of that sin, because of that original sin, we are all born as slaves to sin and under God's judgment. Now, what's the last book of the Bible? The last book of the Bible, yeah? Revelation, that's right. It's the last book of the Bible. And as I tell my kids, the book of Revelation has, tells us about things that have happened, things that are happening right at the time, and things that will happen. It's a nice, nice summary for uh, if you're not quite sure exactly what to say about the book of Revelation. I find that to be a helpful summary. Um, and, uh, but it, it does tell about things that will happen in the future. And it tells about how Jesus will return and finally destroy the dragon, the serpent of old. This, this snake, this snake that was all the way back in the Garden of Eden and all of his, his helpers will be destroyed forever in the end. This is what's told to us in the book of Revelation. At that time, Jesus will return with power, with glory, with strength, to destroy the devil and all of his works, and the snake will be gone once and for all. That sounds pretty good, right? But it hasn't happened yet. We haven't gotten to the end of the story. What part of the story are we in right now? It's the part called the middle, (laughs) right? Where the characters are slogging it through, where it's difficult, where sometimes it's boring. Sometimes you think you can't even go on another day. We're right in the middle of the story, and we happen to be at Christmas time. And so what's the deal with Christmas? I mean, if Jesus didn't come to finish off the snake once and for all, what did he actually come to do after all? 
So what I want to talk to you today about is the difference between Jesus' initial coming, the first time he came, and Jesus coming the second time. We'll look at the shepherds in particular because they're a good way to understand the difference between what's God's, what God is up to this first time that Jesus comes and, the, and what God's up to the second time that Jesus comes. Again, in Revelation, it says that Jesus will come in power, with a sword, with strength. Every eye will see him. Every knee will bow before him. Now, now kids, how did Jesus come the first time? How did he come the first time? Yeah? A little baby, that's right. He came as a little baby. He was barely noticed by anybody, certainly not by his own people. His own people didn't notice him. They weren't expecting him to come that way. How many of you have a little baby in your home? How many kids, how many of you kids have a little? So you're familiar with babies, right? You're familiar with babies. What is a baby like? Describe a baby. Yeah? Little? What did she say? Okay, they drink milk. Yes, that's right. Yeah? They're helpless. That's right. That you have to do everything for them, right? Everything. It's amazing. But they don't just need food and clothing, which of course we all need. They also have to be held. They have to be cuddled. They have to be kissed. A baby needs to be loved. And a baby, I mean, you know, God has made it so that babies are cute and our hearts, you know, melt before a baby, but really babies don't give us much back, right? We have to do a lot of giving when babies are little. Jesus, it says in in the Nicene Creed, is very God of very God, right? Very God of very God. Jesus, who was God, who is God, came to earth as a little baby, totally helpless, who needed to be cuddled and kissed. He had to be born in a barn, with animals because his family was poor and traveling. They couldn't get a room. They didn't have connections or enough money or whatever it was that was needed to actually get a room to sleep in. Jesus came in weakness and humility. And why? Why is this? I mean, if the goal is to crush the head of the snake, how, how is this moving the ball forward here? <laughs> how is this forward progress? It all seems very backward. And I think the the story even gets more confusing to us as we look at the Christmas story itself in Luke 2. A little baby, little baby Jesus, sounds very sweet and cute, right? But it, it doesn't actually, to me, even seem like the most exciting part of the Christmas story. You know, I asked you a minute ago, kids, how many of you have a little baby in your homes? How many of you, even if you don't have a baby in your homes, how many of you have seen a little baby? Everybody, right? You've all seen a little baby. Okay, how many of you have seen an angel, a real-life angel? None of you. If you were given the choice of seeing a little baby or seeing an angel, which would you pick? Probably want to see an angel because that would be kind of interesting, right? You see babies all day long. Um, But... It's amazing because the angels are not actually the point of the story. 
The angels are not the most exciting part of the story. The, the point of the story is this little, helpless, pathetic baby. Now, it's also confusing because if you want the whole world to know about something, it makes sense to send angels, right? That makes sense. They're pretty impressive. We can tell from the, the reaction of the shepherds. Uh, they, were, they were terrified when the angels appeared to them. But, I mean, if you're trying to get the word out, it would make more sense to have the angels appear in public, where there are lots of people, where maybe there are some important people that have credibility, who other people listen to, right? And so it's very confusing. God does not send angels to kings, to priests, to prophets. He doesn't send them to politicians. He doesn't send them to wealthy businessmen. The angels appear to a bunch of shepherds. Now, my thoughts went to what Pharaoh said when uh, the people of Israel, uh, Jacob, went to Egypt. You remember what Pharaoh said when, when, when that family showed up in Egypt at the very end of Genesis? Do any of you kids remember? This might be a tough one. Do any of you kids remember what Jesus said about the Israel, or not Jesus, the Pharaoh said about the Israelites when they showed up, when he found out what work they did. He said, they said, we're shepherds. We work with, with uh, animals. Pharaoh said that they could live in this land, this land of Goshen, because every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So way back then, way long ago, the shepherds were loathsome to the Egyptians. God sends the angels to the shepherds who are of very low rank. They're not high on the social totem pole. On top of that, he sends uh, angels to them in the middle of the night, out in the middle of nowhere. If you, kids, were trying to get the word out about God coming in the flesh to save his people from their sins... Is this the method you would use? If you were trying to get the word out uh, that you wanted the whole world to know about something, what would you do? What would you do? Put it on the internet? On what? On the news, YouTube. Okay, maybe go on YouTube. Yeah? You would hand out cards, hire someone to hand out cards? Okay. Maybe that's an option. Maybe you'd put a message up in the sky. Or maybe you'd have a blimp, right? Something to show lots of people this message. Maybe all at once, you know? Maybe have, I mean, lots of options. You could, you could be very creative. And so I think this is one of these places where we get confused and we fail to understand what God is up to. The Jews at the time were confused by Jesus, and I think that we're still confused After all, God is totally powerful. God can show his power at any time in any way that he wants to. He's not hindered in any way uh, from sending the message to everybody all at once. And yet, this is how he chose to send his message, to send Christ into the world. He sent Jesus as a little baby And he told humble, poor shepherds 
the word about Jesus. Why? Why? Why did he do this? I think the answer is actually very simple. And I think it's because God had determined that this was not the time to show his power and strength. But at Christmas time, he shows his love. God shows his love for us. And this is not a mistake. It's not a detour. It's not plan B. You know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a mistake. You may be wondering, okay, but how do you destroy, if the ultimate goal is to destroy a dragon, right? To destroy the snake, to be done with all, all of the evil and, and all the wickedness. How does this help? How does it help? to, to uh, send a little baby. Well, in the end, remember, Jesus will destroy the serpent with a sword, right? With power, with glory. But in the meantime, he is establishing his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven, and he's doing that with love. When he was grown up, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. What does it mean for something to be at hand? It means you can reach out and touch it. It's right there, right there. How did he establish it? How how is he establishing, how is Jesus establishing his kingdom right now? He's not doing it with visions from heaven. He's not doing it with strong armies. He's not doing it with ingenious inventions. You know, Elon Musk is is not ushering in the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, He's not doing it with political leaders. There have been great, amazing rulers throughout history who have had the ability to inspire massive numbers of people to do all kinds of things. Certain people in history, certain men, certain women, have gotten others to do amazing things. Some for good ends, some for very evil ends. Can you kids think of some, some... leaders who have inspired nations and movements. Hitler, okay, that's an evil example, right? Much evil in the world. What other examples in history? Yeah? George Washington, yep, yep, inspired a nation, yep. Go ahead. What? Putin, okay, yeah. What's that? Napoleon, yeah, Napoleon Bonaparte, lots of them, you know, you've got good examples, bad examples, Hitler, Gandhi, Stalin, Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, I mean, the list could go on and on of of great men who who have inspired others to do either terrible things or good things or something in between. Jesus was not at all like that, not at all like that. It was a mystery to the Jews at the time, and I think it's still a mystery to us. Was it a mistake of some kind? How is the kingdom of heaven going to be established? It will be established by love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to pay the penalty for our sins. If you receive that love, if you, if you receive the love of God for us, if you trust in Jesus... It says that you can have eternal life and that you will be a part of God establishing his kingdom on this earth. Now, it's a very simple truth, but it's very difficult for us to put into practice. And I want to say two things about it that connects specifically to uh, the shepherds. 
First, I think that God chose the shepherds because he wanted to remind us that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd. Why? Because Jesus does the things that a shepherd does. He leads the sheep and protects them. He brings them back when they stray. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep. He loves his sheep. Pastor Max was telling me this past week about a story of a sheepdog protecting a bunch of livestock. I guess it was sheep, maybe something else. Have you guys heard about this story? He like killed off like six coyotes or something like this and actually survived, scared off the rest of them. Amazing story of this animal protecting, uh, being a a sheepdog, protecting the sheep. Jesus has a very tender scene on the beach after his resurrection with the apostle Peter. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you remember this story? He asks Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what does Jesus say in response? Does any, do any of you kids remember? Do any of you kids remember? What does Jesus say in response? Were you here in the first service? Yeah, you're cheating. Go ahead. <laughs> what? Feed my sheep. That's exactly right. Tend my lambs. This is Jesus' concern. Now, kids, this world is a scary place, isn't it? It's a scary place. Do you trust that Jesus will tend you? Do you trust that Jesus will lead you through this scary world? Remember, at the, at the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve did not believe that God loved them and would care for them. Do you believe it? Jesus said near the end of his ministry, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also love one another. There's another thing that connects, I think, uh, to Jesus, uh, connects all of this to the shepherds, and that is the humility of Christmas. The humility of Christmas. This is something that is so front and center about all of Christmas, and it's front and center about love, right? If if my main point today is that God is establishing his kingdom through love. This is how he's doing it. You know, not, not with swords loud clashing, which is the, the hymn says, but through love. If this is how he is establishing his kingdom, then what does that look like? And love is 
humble. Love is humble. Love is humble. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is given to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are humble. God delights to bring down the proud and lift up the humble. This happens repeatedly through scripture. From the very beginning all the way to the end, he brings down the proud and he lifts up the humble. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth while they're pregnant, she says, God has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. When, when the, the disciples told the people to get the kids away from Jesus, what did Jesus say, kids? Do you remember? What did Jesus say? Yeah? Let them come to me for what? The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Do you know that the kingdom of heaven belongs to you if you will trust him simply? Just trust him. This is why God sent angels to shepherds and not to kings, not to religious leaders, not to great politicians. He decided to lift up the humble and to bring down the proud. These are the men who got to see Jesus first, and these are the men who became the first messengers about Jesus. You know, when they showed up to to worship Jesus in, in the manger, they probably had mud and animal poop on their feet, right? They probably didn't smell good. There wasn't anything about them that was special, except that they were lowly, and God delights to use the lowly. And when Jesus called his disciples, what kind of men did he call? Kids, what kind of men did he call? Yeah? What? Louder. He did, yes, but his disciples. Who were his disciples? Yeah? Fishermen, right. Very humble men. They were humble fishermen. And today, I bet you didn't hear about Jesus from an angel. Who did you hear about Jesus from? Who told you about Jesus? Yeah? Okay, your parents, that's exactly right. Maybe some of you learned about him from a pastor or a friend. Someone told you, and that person who told you probably isn't like flashy. I mean, I know you love your parents, but there's probably not that much special about them, right? And here today, there's not much special about your pastors, right? I mean, I'm here, here I am. This is what God does. He brings us his message, not with angels most of the time, but with people, people that don't amount to much. Here's a, here's a, a way to make the point hit home, I, I think, with kids. Kids, do you like it when your mom and dad give your little brother a message to pass along to you? Right? What is your first thought when your little brother comes to you and says, something mom and dad told them. Probably like, ah, are you sure? <laughs> really? Is that true? It's humbling when your parents send a message to you through your little brother, right? This is not your favorite thing. Pastor Tim would point out many times that God is still in the business of doing that today. 
God sends men instead of angels to tell the world about Jesus and to teach us to receive the message with humility. It is good for God to humble us in this way because this is how we learn to love. This is how we learn to love. You cannot love if you're proud. We like to think that you know, God should just flash a message across the sky or put it on the internet or I don't know what. Send us all visions. But that's not what God is up to. It is impossible to love others if you're proud. Love and pride do not go together. So one of the main ways that God teaches us to love is by teaching us to be humble. And this is the example of Jesus, right? This is what God is up to. He is establishing his kingdom right now. This is what he's doing. Don't miss this. He's establishing it by teaching us to be humble, teaching us to love others. Do you trust that God will use sinful men like the Apostle Peter to teach you about Jesus? So how will the kingdom of heaven be established? It will be established by love. 1 Corinthians 13, the famous passage written, inspired by God, written by the Apostle Paul, says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or brag and is not arrogant. It is not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not easily provoked or irritable. It does not take into account the wrong suffered. It's not resentful. And then skipping down, now faith, hope, Love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. You have to have faith to believe what you have been told about Jesus. And it probably wasn't someone special who told it to you, right? Probably just a regular person. Just like the people at the time who heard it from the shepherds, they had to have faith to believe what the shepherds were telling them about Jesus You have to have faith to to even believe what I'm telling you. You must have hope that Jesus will one day return to destroy the snake once and for all. That is our hope. That is our hope, right? We can't uh, let let go of that. We don't let go of that. That is what Revelation promises us, and that is our hope, that that will one day take place. But in the meantime... Here we are in the middle of the story. And the story is still filled with a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of death. It's filled with things like divorce and betrayal. It's filled with many, many difficult things. There's a lot of things about this world that are broken. And it feels very hard. And and Christmas is therefore confusing, right? Because we're celebrating this peace and joy and love in a place that's still filled with fighting and hatred and sadness. But this is exactly where love comes in. This is the way God is establishing his kingdom. This is what Jesus was up to. His aim was to love us, to fill our hearts with God's love. Can your heart be filled up with God's love? If it is, you will show love to others. Jesus, his aim is to love us and to show us how to love others. For that, 
He needed a people who were willing to receive him. Joseph and Mary, the shepherds out in the field at night. The question is, are you willing to receive him? Do you know about God's love? Do you want to be part of God's work of establishing his kingdom on this earth? Well, it's easy, right? Be humble. Love. (laughs) It's simple, but not easy. Not easy. Now, kids, it's very easy at Christmas time to get confused, right? Because, I mean, presents, (laughs) right? Presents. They're so exciting. Our eyes get big and we get greedy and we think about all the things that we want. And, of course, we focus on ourselves. We think about ourselves and what we want. And um, I'm not actually up here to tell you that Christmas is just about giving. Because that's that's an important part of it. But, But Christmas is also... A very important part is about receiving. It's about receiving. You have to learn not just how to give, but how to receive. The shepherds, when they heard the message, they were amazed and filled with wonder. And they went off to tell other people about it. They were filled with gratitude and wonder at what they had been told. What is your attitude when you receive a gift? Are you expecting it? Are you, oh yeah, that's not good enough, you know? Or do you receive it with a grateful heart? Are you willing to receive this gift of this little baby Jesus? Are you willing to receive it humbly and gratefully? If you are, then you'll be ready to share that love as well. If we receive God's love this Christmas, God's kingdom will be established in us. And if we love others we will, and share the message like the shepherds did, we can take part in establishing God's kingdom on this earth. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed at what you have done. This is not at all what we would have done. We are proud, and we think we're wise, but you have thrown down the wisdom of the wise You have thrown down the proud, and you have lifted up the humble. Father, we continue to be confused by this because we are proud. We want to be at the top. Father, would you please forgive us for this? Help us to receive this gift humbly and to to love others, Father, as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.